Hey there, Eyes Free Sports fans. Kickstart your health and wellness journey with a twist. Introducing Couch to Active, where health and fitness for the blind and visually impaired community finally gets the fun treatment it deserves. Couch to Active offers personalized one-on-one coaching, exciting group classes on Zoom, and expert guidance in weight management. It's not just about getting fit, it's about having a blast while doing it. I've personally tried their classes and have thoroughly enjoyed them. Don't miss out on the fun. Join the Couch to Active community today and start your journey to a healthier and happier you. Learn more at couch2active.com. Couch, T-O, active.com. Or call 206-672-2070. 206-672-2070. Couch to Active, where fitness and fun go hand in hand. Hello, hello, and thanks for tuning into episode 104 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. On this episode, our guest is a gentleman from the great state of New York who has had quite a career professionally, but is also very involved in sports for the blind and has been extremely instrumental in blind baseball coming to the U.S., Uh, You might be familiar with beat ball, beat baseball, uh, but blind baseball is definitely a different type of baseball adapted for the blind and visually impaired. So let's go ahead now and hit the field and get swinging into episode 104. Okay, so my guest here on this episode of the podcast is Ed Plumacher. And Ed is a very accomplished blind athlete, uh, has worked, I know, in accessibility for a while, and also very involved in the U.S. Blind Baseball Association. Ed, welcome to Eyes Free Sports. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat, and I know we've got plenty to get into, and super excited to finally chat about blind baseball, uh, which for those who may not know is different from beat baseball. Um, I know sometimes beat baseball is, is called blind baseball, but there are actually two different sports. I'm um, so really excited to get into that as well here with you today. Great. Thank you. Excellent. So why don't we just kick things off, Ed, with just uh, your background as far as where you were born and your, your formative years in life. Sure. So, um, you know, I'm from New Jersey. I was born in New Jersey originally and uh, grew up there. Um, I also did go to grammar school in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then back to New Jersey again to uh, you know finish up uh, grade school and then back into high school. So I do have a, a bit of a mix of living on the East Coast and getting a little bit of that Midwestern influence growing up, and uh, you know, and playing ball in both both locations in Little League, which was pretty interesting. Uh, uh, I remember our ball fields in Albuquerque. We didn't have a blade of grass on them, so <laughs> it was uh, that was wow. quite interesting. So, but yeah, you know, growing up, um, you know, I always had issues with vision. Uh, you know, everybody knew I couldn't see in the dark since from an early age, and uh, I knew they knew something was wrong. But it, it, a lot of times, they just associated with me being klutzy or so because I was always battered, bruised, and bloody from running into things or tripping over things and stuff like that. So, right. Um, it wasn't until later on that uh, they figured everything out. Gotcha. I see. And so what exactly is your eye condition? Yeah, so I have uh, retinitis pigmentosa, and I also have nystagmus. So uh, the nystagmus, uh, I guess it did play a role in me growing up as much, but I didn't notice it because uh, I had a larger field of view. It wasn't until the field of view really narrowed with the RP that, uh, that, I, that I noticed the shakiness and, the you know, the, the less vision I had uh, peripherally with la- narrower field of view, the more the more the shaking. So uh, now I just have light perception. So just with light perception, it's uh, it's quite annoying. So it's one of those things where I you know I try to wear uh, darker shades and uh, I end up closing my eyes a lot during the day because it just I just find it a little overwhelming at times. Right, I can definitely relate. Kind of at that same stage, and the light has gotten more and more annoying over time. 
Um, so as far as education, did you pretty much go to mainstream schools then growing up? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. Um, I wasn't diagnosed till 15. I was already in high school at that time. So huh. um, yeah, so I, I went to mainstream schools, and you know, like I said, I went. To, I lived in the East Coast and also in Albuquerque. So you know, I, I went to five grammar schools and three different high schools. So it was kind of oh, wow. <laughs> kind of a little unique that I always seem to find myself in a new environment uh, almost every every year and a half or so. So. Which I think really helped me as I got as I was growing older, especially when I went to college. So you know, when I went to I went to Villanova University, and when I first got to school, I recognized the fact that uh, a lot of these uh, kids that I was meeting, this was the first time that they were changed. They were out of the school system. They started since kindergarten. So uh, I felt I had a unique advantage over being able to you know, mingle, mix, make new friends and do things. And uh, just from there, I just seemed to uh, to really just break out and, uh, you know, establish myself at Villanova, and which, which, which I really, really enjoyed. I met my wife there the first week of school. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and, uh, and we, uh, we went on uh, after that. We, we got married a couple of years after I graduated uh, and she graduated. Uh, she went on to grad school, so we waited for that. So... And you know, we, we raised five kids, but uh, together, so it, it's really good. <laughs> nice, great love story. <laughs> yeah, you can call it the, call it that. I mean, believe me, we went through a lot with my vision loss and everything, and raising five children and the economic impact that had on us and everything. Uh, it, it, I'm not going to say it took a toll, but it was challenging at times. But we uh, we weathered the storm and we worked our way through it and everything. And it's uh, it, it was a tough go, but we we got through it. Sure, sure, definitely understandable. And your wife is is fully sighted. Yeah, my wife is fully sighted, and uh, knock on wood, my children, my five, my five children are uh, all seem to be fully sighted, and we don't see any um, any indication of retinitis pigmentosa in them. And uh, we've been fortunate now, you know, back in the day when uh, we were married, and think about having children, there there weren't uh, DNA tests back then. It was uh, you would get some consultation and you'd get some probabilities or whatever, but nothing like today. So they've all, most of most of them have all been tested. I think three out of the five have had their blood work done and they've been tested to see if they're carrying genes or, or potential carriers of the, of the RP that I have. And uh, we're lucky so far. It has not manifested itself. So, and we have our first grandchild. He's like 14 months old and he seems to be doing very well as well. So nice, nice. Great to hear. Um, so just going back to Villanova. So what did you study in college? Yeah. So well, I went to school. I studied. I, I received a bachelor of science in business administration, and uh, I concentrated mostly on marketing and finance. Um, I did graduate. You know, I graduated high school in '78. I did graduate Villanova. Uh, I am the class of '81, which drives a lot of my um, my my friends who hadn't found me in years. They, they'll look for me at Villanova in class of 82 and say, I know Ed went here. Did he not graduate? But actually, <laughs> I, got, I, got out, uh, I got out earlier. And I did that for uh, one, primarily because you know, my, my parents really didn't have the money to, to provide for me. And I was taking loans out. And at the time when I was going to Villanova at that time, if you took your normal 15 credits, anything you took over that they didn't charge you for. So I realized that early on hmm. and I would take an extra course or two a semester and I was able to get out uh, and be part of class of 81. So second reason was too, is, you know, I, I really didn't like all the reading and studying and things like that. It was really tough on my vision at that time. And I did not know about adaptive technology. I didn't have any magnification programs or anything like that, uh, except for maybe an, the occasional magnifying glass. And, uh, I thought about going on to graduate school or law school, but I just I just shied away from that and decided to just 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 go to work. Right. Oh yeah. Just you know, like you said, late seventies, early eighties, assistive tech was a whole different ball game back then. It was then. a different ball game, and <laughs> if if they did have it, you couldn't afford it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, so as far as your career, so I know you've worked in assistive tech, accessibility. That was later in life. That really, the assistive tech side came after after I had lost my vision and my and uh, I had stopped working and everything. So right out of college, I had moved to Atlanta and uh, uh, with a, an old high school buddy of mine, and we ended up starting our first uh, our first company down there, International Box Corporation, and so we were selling. Uh, you know, corrugated containers and shipping shipping materials and things like that. So uh, hmm. we built that up pretty well. And then, uh, 
you know, I, uh, my fiance did not want to move to Georgia. So I ended up uh, selling my interest out to my partner, moving to New York, and then starting the same type of business up in the New York metro area. So um, I did that for many years. And then I ended up, uh, did a little stint on Wall Street. And while I was doing that, I found this small company that dealt in, uh, that was dealing with baseball. And uh, they had developed a tracking system. Uh, most people watch television today and they see that little box in the lower right-hand corner of a TV screen, which tracks the location of the baseball in the strike zone. That that technology was originated by this company. And uh, mm -hmm. I ended up investing in the company, going to work with the company, and I ended up taking them over in 1992 and then revamped it, rebuilt the technology and renamed it Quest Tech. And uh, that was my start of my 19-year career with Major League Baseball, professional baseball, working with PGA Golf for professional golf, working ATP for tennis, and doing doing events basically around the world. I've done golf tournaments in China, South Africa, Canada, United States. Uh, wow. Worked with 23 Major League Ball Clubs, and then uh, Major League Baseball hired us in 2000 to build and umpire tracking and scoring system that we put together for them because they were trying to uh basically build a standard strike zone so uh it was a great career i got to travel the world got to do a lot of things and uh even i even worked on skiing in uh in in, in europe so i worked with uh christian neureuter who was married to rosie mittermeier who uh people who were my age will remember she won five gold medals in the 76 winter olympics so uh Got mm. to be good friends with them and uh, and work with ZDF National Television as well. Wow, that's amazing! I had no idea you had that background in sports and getting to travel and pretty pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that's one of the things. Though. So when I really started losing my vision, I you know and, and uh, stopped working at uh, the end of the 2008 baseball season. Basically, went from working at 100 miles an hour 24/7 to sitting at home and not knowing how to be blind because <laughs> mm. you know it was you know it was my company I ran the company so as I was moving along getting older if my as my vision got worse if I couldn't do something I would just assign that task over to somebody else and I still supervised it still managed it still was heavily involved in everything um, but my support network were my employees and then when I stopped working all of a sudden I'm sitting home and you know, my wife had gone back to work a couple of years earlier uh, after raising the five kids. Kids were all in college. All my friends were still working and it was uh, nobody to play with. And I was just sitting home getting depressed. <laughs> mm, sure, sure. Quite a transition. Yeah, big transition. So at that point, that's when I really started getting myself back in shape. You know, I started just walking. So I would go for a four mile walk in the morning. Next thing I knew, I was doing that twice a day, morning and afternoon. And uh Slowly built that up to uh, just uh, getting online, uh, got onto social media, basically to monitor what my kids were starting to do because they were they were late teenagers at that point. I wanted to make sure everything was okay with uh, quote unquote big bad social media. Yep. <laughs> and when I got on, when I got uh, signed up online, I think within 24 hours, I had heard from five five friends from college and high school, and even grammar school that I hadn't seen or heard from in 30 plus years. So uh, I ended up uh, just getting involved in that, looking things up in the blind community. Came across this uh, this is a guy from uh, North Carolina, Ed McDaniel's, and I saw he had just run a marathon with his cane. <laughs> yeah. mm. It's like, wow. <laughs> I said, I think I could do that. And I started training and I did my first uh, half marathon in uh, in 2011. And from there, I just started getting more involved in the blind community through social media. Uh, I found uh, a support group here on Long Island called uh, Eye to Eye. From there, I found uh, somebody who you've actually had on your show, uh, Sensei Devin Fernandez's group, Third Eye Insight, and I got involved in his martial arts program. Sure. And I and I found that you know getting myself back in shape, getting involved in uh, adaptive sports was really really making me feel good about myself again. Wow. And I just just kept growing from there. I, I took up skiing again. I was an avid skier. I mean, I skied in Europe when I used to go over there and do work and everything. And um, had my family over there in 2000 when I took a really bad fall in Garmisch-Partenkirchen skiing over there and uh, mm -hmm. um, 
ended up in the hospital <laughs> with a concussion and uh yikes all the, all, all the pictures from that vacation have have my head all bandaged up i've got these two two black eyes a bandage across my nose because it was a <laughs> it was a, it was a really bad accident so mm. i hadn't skied in uh in 13 years and then Devin had introduced me to the uh, U.S. Association of Blind Athletes, and they had a program in, uh, in, with Vermont Adaptive, and I just kept looking at it. And finally, I said, you know what? I miss skiing. I'm going to give this a try. And uh, I signed up for it, went up there with Devin and a group of us, and uh, Pasquale Agnone, who's also uh, someone you uh, you know as well, uh, was there. He was my roommate on that trip and everything, and it was just it, – it was, it was really good. And uh, I felt great about it. And uh, I remember my ski instructor telling me I was the fastest blind skier he'd ever skied with, and he'd been skiing up there for 10 years uh, <laughs> doing that. So at that point, I, I felt I was back. <laughs> sure. So there had been quite a few years between that injury and then getting back on the slopes, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. yeah th almost 13 years. Wow. And it, and it was through that. It was through some of the guys who were doing the martial arts with me, and that's how I found uh, uh, beatball, beat baseball. And uh and uh, I did that for uh, th three years, I think 20, 2012, 2013, and 2014. I believe those are the years. I might be off by a year because I know I went to Columbus, Georgia for the World Series. I think that was 2013. Yeah, I believe so. And, right. And then after that, uh, I went to Rochester, Minnesota. So uh, um, and, uh, in 2015, I, things were just getting busy. I, I had gotten a, a part-time job working for a small rehab company in New York, um, in New York City. In 2012, I had bought my first iPhone, and uh, I was tracking things, and uh, and uh, I, I taught myself how to use VoiceOver, um, hmm. and it made a huge difference for me. And then I was involved with the Foundation Fighting Blindness, and they had asked me if I knew anyone who could give a presentation. And I had met this this woman from; um, she was staying at Helen Keller National Center. She was originally from Georgia. And I met her at a, a retinitis pigmentosa RP social in 2011 that I had gone to that year. And she was determined that she was going to go to work for Apple. And she was teaching herself the you know, voiceover on the Mac and getting help from Helen Keller. And she got her iPhone and iPads and everything going. And at that point, I had heard about the iPhone 3GS when it first came out. And I kept saying, that's a piece of glass. What am I going to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> So yep, after that, yep. I bought I bought my first iPhone in 2012. A month later, um, I had asked her to do this presentation for Foundation Fighting Blindness here here in New York, and she said she would do it if I would if I would do it with her. And I said, you know, Kim, I've had my iPhone for less than a month. She said, yeah, but you know it really well. So I'll do the iPad side. You do the iPhone side. And we get up there and we did this presentation. It was it was a packed packed room. There had to be about 250 people out there. And at the end of the presentation, this gentleman walks up to me and he gives me his card and he asked me if, if I could come see him. He says, I think that technology would help me. And he was a gentleman that had star guards and he had he owned his uh, his own uh, re uh, rehab company, uh, vocational rehab company in New York City. So I stopped in to see him, worked with him, took him over to the Apple store. We met Kim. We sold him his first iPhone. I went back to his office with him. We set it up. He called me back three days later think, saying that this was the greatest thing since sliced bread and we needed to do something with this. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so we got together and we uh, we uh, we formed a nonprofit and we started uh, building um, um, uh, audio modules to teach blind people how to use the iPhone. Um, hmm. And that's that's how I got involved with um, Krista Giannik, who you've also had on your show, uh, she actually was writing the uh, scripts and we hired her brother and he was actually doing the voice voiceover work for us at that time. Um, and from there, we kept keeping track of it in California. All of a sudden, they added uh, iOS training to their vocational rehab programs. And at that point, we had been contacted by New York State because they were looking to do the same thing. They knew about, they knew about our program. And we worked with them and uh, wrote the original curriculum. And nine months later, they approved it. So, and then they they approved me and our agency as the first trainers for iOS in New York State. And we pretty much had an exclusive exclusive uh, relationship with that for about nine months. And then the curriculum was sent out to the other agencies and everything. But uh, that was my start of adaptive tech. Right, right. It really is incredible how the smartphone, you know, specifically the iPhone, has been such a game changer. And you know what? You know what's also incredible, Greg, is putting yourself out there. 
all these things happen because of networking and relationships. And true. I mean, you know, when you start losing your vision, especially if you've had sight, it can be it can be emotionally devastating. And uh, depression is a key. I see too many people self-medicating with alcohol and, and unfortunately sometimes drugs and things. But you have to you have to put yourself out there. And when you do, you start meeting people. And it, it's that network that will help you build these relationships. And then build, and, and those things can grow into things that are that have an impact on your life and the people around you. So you you know, making it happen is getting out there and doing it. Well, absolutely. And that's the hardest step for so many people to take, you know. Alrighty. So then uh just kind of focusing on on adaptive sports. Uh so I know you did mention beat baseball. And you did play with the Long Island Bombers, right? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, I was with the Long Island Bombers. I, and I believe you, you said you played with them in a World Series at one point? Yeah, back in 2021, I had the opportunity and it uh, was a really awesome experience. Um, they were kind of the, you know, basically the best team I'd gotten to play with in my beatball career. Um, there was a game we actually had a walk-off win, 3-2. to two. Um, awesome. So it was super exciting yeah. to be part of that and just in general to be you know, around so many more experienced players and, and being able to kind of pick their brains and, and learn from some of the best. Yeah. I remember, I remember the, you know, I first heard about beatball, beat baseball, and um, I shied away from it because, you know, I was told that you had to wear a blindfold and it was like, wait a minute, I'm losing my vision. I'm not putting a blindfold on. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So right. it was probably, so that was like 2011. I had heard about it. And then I, I think at the, maybe it was a year and a half, 20, the end of 2012, I think just before their season was ending, I went to one of their practices and I, I put the blindfold on and I got up to hit and uh, having played ball a lot growing up, I had a, I had a really good swing. And I remember, uh, um, catching catching that ball and it flew over the the, the left fielder's head and uh, all of a sudden people walk up you want to ride you want to ride to practice next week <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that that was that was the start of it but I can tell you the first time making contact running down that line uh, and hitting that base and being safe and uh, um, I was at that point I was glad I had a blindfold on because it was covering up the tears that were flowing out of my eyes <laughs> wow wow powerful yeah, I can totally relate. Just like you said, getting out there for the first time and not only at the dish, but also in the field and just kind of the the independence that you really do feel when you get out there and, you know, mm -hmm. you're in control of that bat and you're in control of trying to get that ball. And uh, well, it's, it's such a great feeling. That was that was the first um, competitive adaptive team sport situation I'd been back into in, in many, many years. And uh you know, it's one thing to ski and it's one thing to do the martial arts and stuff like that. But, to, you know, when you're on a team, it's a whole different, it's a whole different entity. I mean, all, all that oh, yeah. aspect comes back of teammates and you're not, you're out there because you don't, you're not just worrying about letting yourself down. You don't want to let your teammates down. You want to win. You want to perform well and things like that. It has a major, major impact on you. Absolutely. Well said. Um, so then transitioning on to blind baseball. Uh, so like I mentioned at the top, uh, beat baseball has been around, you know, since the 70s, basically the, the World Series first started back in the 70s. Um, but blind baseball, a very different type of adaptive baseball, uh, is, is pretty recent in this country. And I know that you were kind of at the forefront of, of kind of launching this sport in the U.S., right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, they they had made several attempts at it. So the, the actual game was, believe it or not, developed in Italy um, in mm -hmm. nineteen in nineteen ninety eight. Um, and a lot of people don't realize, but Italy has a strong history of loving the game of baseball itself. Um, a lot mm -hmm. of that comes from um, World War Two, one of the American soldiers uh, uh, moved into Italy, and uh, you know, and uh, Basically, Italy switched sides from the the evil access and joined and joined the Allies and everything. And uh, you know, a lot of those uh, young young boys over there that were you know six, seven, eight, ten years old, and you know, many have lost had lost their fathers in the war and everything. So they were idolizing the young American soldiers over there who brought baseball, and they started teaching the, the young Italian kids how to play the game, and it really grew from there. Um, it didn't hurt that Joe DiMaggio was a, a great baseball player with the New York Yankees, so that that was a natural transition as well uh, in terms sure. of uh, following the game and wanting to idolize uh, idolizing him as well. So um, it and so it had a long history. So blind soccer was around a little bit back then, and uh, 
one of the there was a professor at, I can't remember the name of the school, but this all took place in Bologna, Italy, and he wanted to develop a game for for blind for baseball. So it it took him a while, a lot of trial and error, working with the blind community, and uh, they really designed a very good game that takes into account you know all the, all the, the fundamental aspects of you know, running, throwing, fielding, and hitting. And put it together and came up with a really, really safe format um, in terms of you know, you know how, how the game is played and in terms of safety and uh, and the games get very competitive and there Italy usually averages ten to twelve teams on, on any given year. They'll have you know at least ten teams and they've had as many as twelve and fourteen at one time. Um, and it has grown through Europe it's in Europe now as well. Um, Things changed a few years ago when the World Baseball Softball Confederation actually sanctioned the game and took over the international tournaments for it. So, under the, you know under the uh, the the belief and the and, and the goal of uh, getting this in, letting this become a Paralympic sport. Um, sure. So what happened? What happened was I guess in 2013 I had heard that uh, the Italians had sent a couple of coaches over and they were they were going to be. I think it was Columbus, Georgia. They were going to be in Columbus, Georgia, to try and get people to you know look at their game, and I don't think it went too well. I mean, it was a uh, I don't know if it was because uh, beat baseball viewed as a potential threat or whatever it was, but I've seen in the in the adaptive sports arena, everybody thinks their adaptive sports is better than any other one, whether it's goalball <laughs> yep. or beat beat ball or anything else like that. So. Uh, um, they were back again in 2015, and they had two people who had uh, rented a place in New York City that were going to be there six months. And uh, I guess they arrived in late March. And they, were, they didn't have a lot of success. And it was like the end of June, I got a phone call. They had, they were going around and meeting with the, the local chapters of like NFB and, AC, you know, and uh, Merkin Council Blind ACB and spoke to FFB and stuff, but they weren't getting people really to come out and do anything. They didn't have the relationships in the city to do anything with the parks department and things. And uh, they had gone to the New York State Commission for the Blind and spoke to them to see if they could get some assistance. And I got a phone call from one of the senior counselors there in the Harlem office. And she, and she, cause she knew I was, I was heavily involved in adaptive sports. I, I had moved on and, uh, and developed some other adaptive sports in the city. And she asked me if I could meet with them and maybe help them. So they came to meet me, and I I really liked them. They were a nice couple, and uh, it was a ma male and a female, and they they were both players of the sport. And I said, okay. I said, uh, you know, I've got some relationships. And we organized our first clinic in Central Park in uh, July of 2015, and we had about 35 people come out. And from there, it just started it just started moving forward. Um, we continued on that year with another clinic in October, and then in the spring we started doing weekly weekly practices, and we formed our first team in late June of that year when we called it the New York Bashers. Hmm. Um, we didn't want to, we didn't want to do the Bombers because the Bombers were already taken by the beatball team that a lot of a lot of the same players were playing with and things. So sure, sure, interesting. And, and, yeah, and then unfortunately, not too long after that, I, I actually I had gotten hired by the Lighthouse Guild uh, in New York City as their adaptive technology specialist, which was the same place that I had gotten my training from three years earlier. So uh, having finished my adaptive training with them, which is the first time I learned what you know magnification and screen reading software was and OCR scanning and reading software was and stuff. And uh, uh, then, then I had gone on and worked for that small agency, Apex, and the iPhone thing, so that when they had an opening, um, that same counselor who called me and asked me to work with the Italians uh, to help get their sport started told me I needed to uh, to interview and, and work at the Lighthouse. And uh, so that's what I did there. And unfortunately, that was a that's a full-time job. And I live out on Long Island, which is two-hour commute to the city and two-hour commute home. And there wasn't a lot of time for extracurricular activities, so I had to like step up, step back from the blind baseball for a while. And they continued to go on, and they uh, they formed a if the the team that we started uh, became the New York Rockers, and that team ended up splitting in 2019. So now you had you had the two teams, the Rockers and the New York Lions uh, team. Uh, and then COVID hit, and everything started just pretty much stopped and almost fell apart. Sure, and it was sure. it was an uh, early of um, twenty twenty two January February. The I was getting calls from people at both teams, and they were asking me to uh, come back and see if I could help get things 
kickstarted again. And, uh, and so I decided to work with the rockers at that point, cause they were, they were the most devastated. And I figured, well, if I work with them, the other team seems closer to being put back on their feet. Um, we'll have two teams. So I, I decided to work with the rockers and we built the team. And then that spring, they started talking about the first world baseball softball confederations, uh, inaugural blind baseball international cup hmm. and they sent uh two coaches over from from aibxc which is the international governing body from italy came over and they were going to evaluate our talent and uh, make a determination if we were competitive enough to go over and play um they came over we were competitive enough but we knew we had to put an all-star team together. So we had the two teams showed up and we did three days of tryouts. And uh, I was mostly doing some playing, but mostly coaching at that time. And I ended up going through the workouts and tryouts with the team. And I ended up making the team for the, for that first team, which, you know, I was a little surprised, but I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I also had a vacation that my wife and I had planned 18 months earlier where we were going to England and Scotland for for like two and a half weeks and i thought that these dates basically conflicted with that but it turned out that i had uh, i was off by like four days and the, the start of this was the, the day the last day of our vacation so i spoke with her and we had friends that uh, lived in the netherlands that we hadn't seen in like seven years and uh, i called them up first before i spoke to my wife because i wanted to make sure they were available because i knew it would be an easier sell for her to leave leave scotland a day early so uh, right. uh we did that and uh at that point i said okay guys i can make it so next thing i knew i found myself on on that first inaugural team wow which which was great because we actually went on and uh, we medaled we actually won the bronze medal in that tournament for the first you know the first time it was the first time that we had actually won a game in Europe because uh, in 2019 the uh, Rockers had gone over to to play in a tournament and uh, they, they didn't they didn't even, they didn't win one game over there at that time because you know those teams play constantly and uh, they were very competitive so we were we were able to go over and compete against Germany and England and uh, the Netherlands and the Italians and the French and uh, and it worked out well. Wow. Wow. And what did it mean to you to be part of, you know, such a, a special team? And like you said, getting that first one in Europe. Oh, it, it was great. I mean, um, one of the things we did was we did contact the U.S. United States Baseball Federation, and they actually gave us Team USA designation, uh, which allowed us to wear U.S., you know, U.S. Team USA uniforms over there. Hmm. And to just stand on a field at, a, at an international tournament like that and hear them play your national anthem. And uh, uh, again, I was glad I had a blindfold on because uh, <laughs> that was not just covering up tears welling up my eyes. That was covering up the tears that would have been rolling down my cheeks. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, it, was, yep. it, was, it, was, it was pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. Absolutely. So as far as blind baseball, the rules, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, you know, how does this sport actually work? And I know, like I said, it's, it's definitely different than beatball. Right. Um, so if you want to just kind of give an overview of, of the rules. Sure, sure. So the, the, the major, the number one difference that you would notice is that in, in blind baseball, there's no pitcher. Right. Okay. So we, you know, we hit the ball out of our own hands. Um, and it's a little trickier. It's not like when you're sighted, if you played ball and you're sighted, you toss the ball up and hitting fungos and things like that. It, it, it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a unique mechanism to do it um, based on your skill set that you may have had previously. You will, will determine if you're going to do it the way that the Italian, most of the Italians do, which is kind of like a, like a cricket type swing. Uh, where they're dropping the ball and the ball is more on a downward angle to to give you a better chance of doing of, of making contact with the ball, or if you've played ball in America uh, and then lost your vision, you, you you know that we learned to swing with a level swing, arms extended <laughs> for power, <laughs> um, and you you try to adapt that way, which is which is you know a way of holding the bat and you're hitting it with one hand because you're basically holding the ball in the other hand and you have to let go of that ball just that millisecond before that bat comes flying through so you don't smash your hand or knuckles yeah. um <laughs> that's how we make contact with it so the other thing is too is we play on half the field so our fair territory is the areas between uh, second and third base so there's nothing hit the right field oh, i see um, um so we're playing five 
five blind defensive players in that in that field area. So you'll depending on the the talent of your team and the, the opposing uh, team that you're playing, how they play, or how, how their individual hitters play, you may put a second baseman to the right of second base, play short, and then play third, and then have an outfielder at the apex of um, third and short, and or short or second uh, for the for the you know center field or right field or whatever, and then and then rotate the second baseman back and have two 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 defensive players up front, um, and. When you hit the ball, you don't run to first base. You have to make it to second base to be safe. Uh, so the first base does have a sounding beep sound to it, uh, electronic, similar to what you have in uh, beep ball. Uh, but on second base, you actually have a coach from your team who has these pair of clappers. And they're, they're wood clappers, and they have cloth on one side. So the, the second baseman hits with one wood side, one cloth side. Um, and he, as soon as you start rounding first base, he'll start clapping to guide you into second base. And you have to make it to second base before that ball is fielded. But then also, when you field the ball in our game, there is a defensive, one-sided defensive player who is at a who is at another second, another base, second base, which is eight to ten feet behind the one we're running to. And he's on that base, and he starts yelling two, 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 two. And you have to basically, because you have a blindfold on too, and there's everybody's at level playing field. You have to orient yourself to that sound and make a clean throw to him or her before that runner makes it to second base. And you know, those some some of these more advanced players. I mean, they're getting there in in, in eleven seconds, so that's not a lot of time. And the, right. our ball is not electronic. Our ball has two chimes in it, so. It makes sound when it's rolling, but you're also sometimes that ball may stop before you get to it. And you basically when you're tracking it, you have to pick up the trajectory. And if it stops, you have to figure out where it is <laughs> and get to it. So and it, you know, that 11 seconds goes by pretty quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But it, it, it's a great game. Um, fair ball. Balls are not fair unless they're hit past the uh, the running path of the runners. So um Anything that falls short of that uh, or stops in the infield is, is, is a foul ball, which is a strike. Um, third base itself is actually in um, in foul territory. So the fair is at the uh, the edge of the the third base toward the uh, toward the infield. Uh, that that be, that reason being that uh, we don't want you know we don't want. Uh, members of who are standing on third base getting hit with getting hit with the ball so the the umpire who does cover that third base area he does wear wear a mitt and he he steps in and tries to stop block or catch anything that might hit that might hit a runner that's standing on third base and once you're on second then you're then your teammate you know as part of the adaptive team sport is responsible for driving you over to third and or and if you're safe at third, you know, and and you can make it to third before and the runner second be out, and uh, you can be on third base, and the next hitter has to drive you home. So, um, and same thing, we have a clapper at third base, and that clapper is using both cloth sides of it, of it, so it makes a, a slightly different sound. So you can you pick up the, this, the distinction between second and third base as you're as you're running and isolating. And uh, you overrun the bases, you're out. I mean, you really, you really have to try and pinpoint thing, which is why a lot, a lot of, a lot of uh, the Italians uh, and the Americans, a lot of times, will slide into second or third base because it just improves your odds of, uh, of making sure you hit that base in time. Sure, sure. And as far as the bases, obviously in beat baseball, they're a couple feet tall. Versus in blind baseball, they're they're pretty flat, right? They're flat. They're 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 the same size as first, second, and third base in a, in a professional baseball game, but they're they're not like two inches thick. You know, they they're basically uh, they're tapered. They might be an inch thick in the middle, but toward the edges, they're 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 almost they're almost totally flat. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Yeah, they do. They do have a little a little cushion to them in the middle. That way, you 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 can tell when you're standing on it. Right, right. I see. Yeah, yeah. And then I think you're telling me home plate is there's no sound associated. There's no with sound home at home plate. Home plate, nope. you are on your own. Uh, you do have a you do have a, a grace of uh, three foot on each side of the base. So you have to basically run down that that corridor. I see. Um, and so there's nobody there to clap you home or anything. So uh, the third base coach. Will is allowed to point you in the right direction to line you up, 
but at that point, you, you know, you're on your own. So, you know, when the batter steps in and, 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 and is ready to hit, you know, you basically you have to know that. So when you're running and, and, you, and you, 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 you have to maintain some speed, you basically have to pay attention to if you're on dirt or if you if you feel grass on your on your left foot first, you know, you got to move to the right a little bit. If it's on the right, you got to move to the left a little bit and try and keep yourself as centered as possible. Run as straight as you can. Right. So definitely a very tactile. You have to be very, you know, focused on, on tactile. And, that, and that's what it all is. It's all tactile. It's all sound. Right. Which is kind of unique. And the amazing thing is that I found is that as my vision loss progressed and I got to the, the less I could see on, in my daily life, the better blind baseball player I became. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then as far as home runs, talk to me about home runs. Home runs are similar to what you have in uh, in uh, beat ball, where beat baseball, that if you it, it travels was 180 feet. Yeah, or 170 maybe. 170, yeah, something. I don't have the exact measurement. So, but uh, yeah, if it, if it goes past that distance, it's, a, it's an automatic home run. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. And the thing with the, the only difference is too with our with our ball with our game. Um, I told you that the the fair line is just beyond the running base pad between second and third. That ball has to hit the ground before that line. If it goes over that line, it's an automatic out. Mm -mm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you know, basically, our, our our ball doesn't beep. You know, even in sure. baseball, I remember being in. I remember the first first game I went to for the World Series in Columbus, where you know we were playing one of the top teams, uh, the first round or whatever. And I remember being in right field, and I I heard that ball hit, and I heard it beeping, and I heard it over my head, and I heard it land behind me, and I was like, oh my god, it could have hit me in the head. <laughs> <laughs> yup. <laughs> So, yeah, so we don't have that. I mean, uh, uh, the ball has to hit the ground. So, A, you hear it and you know where it is and things like that. And also you don't have people taking line drives because, uh, you know, I, I think I had a conversation with you earlier with a uh, mutual uh, bomber, uh, Matt Pavolgo. I remember I think we were playing the Boston Renegades uh, in Eisenhower Park in New York at one of our one of our tournaments here. And he took a line drive right to the face, and it, it, his nose just exploded uh, from mm. that. You know that 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 ball's heavy in, in beat ball. It's uh, you you get hit with that, you know it. <laughs> oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, and that was and that was the thing. And I, I I've seen a lot of people have an injury like you, or dislocated elbow or dislocated shoulder, because when you hit that first or third base uh, base, which is you know can be a, it was about two and a half three feet off the ground, you, you go flying. <laughs> <laughs> right. Your whole body's vulnerable to anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I remember in Columbus, I met a, a player from Chicago who actually broke his legs because he, he started out toward first and made too sharp a stop turn to go to third. Oh, <laughs> and he, and he broke his leg. You know, it's, uh, uh, I, I am happy to say that in the game we play, I haven't seen any injuries like that. Uh, and I've been, I've been playing this game on and off for eight, eight, eight years now. So, hmm. Yeah. So as far as safety, just talk to me a little more about, you know, the safety of the game and yeah, it's yeah, designed I, to be pretty safe, right? It, I think it's, I think, and that's, that's the thing I, I really like about it is that the fact that it takes in all fundamental aspects of the game, like I said, hitting, running, throwing, fielding, and it's designed with safety in mind and, uh, you know, working in vocational rehabilitation at the Lighthouse Guild. I mean, that's something that I'm very in tune to now having, you know, been in this field for 10 years and, uh, you know, safety is always important. And I really think that the timing of the game is good. You know, just like in professional baseball, I remember was it Ken Burns baseball series came out. I, you know, I, I was given that collection as a gift and, uh, and him speaking about how the, just the design of the game, you know, that 90 foot bases or just if it was a hundred feet, it, it, it would change the whole dynamic of the game. It was 85 or 80 feet. It would change the whole time. It, it just seems to be just the right number for the right sport and i think they did they did something similar in blind baseball right absolutely 
Um, as far as the scoring, I know in Deep Ball, some of these games, you know, get up into the 20s, 30s. As far as runs, do you see this, the same thing in blind baseball not, or is it less? Not, not, not so much. I mean, uh, if you put two well-trained uh, competitive teams together, I mean, I, I know most of the championships games get down to be like, you know, two to one, three to two, one nothing. Hmm. Um, I mean, um, they, you can you can see something like that happen. I mean, uh, they do have a mercy rule where you're not allowed to score more than five runs in an inning and then you'll just transition over i see interesting yeah. one of the other things we do too in, in our game is that uh so when you when you take defense at the field at the start of the game you play six outs you're basically playing defense you know twice and then you will hit for two innings uh for six outs um, just to save time for the trend because you know how much time it can take <laughs> going oh, in, yeah. in, 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 in on and off the field. Um, the other major difference too is when the ball is hit, um, like I said, it doesn't beep. And what makes it more difficult too, there's, there's no coaches yelling out what, you know, where it's going. I mean, you right. basically, you, you, have to, you have to track that ball off the bat and figure out where it is and, and, uh, and where, where you think it's going and get to it to, to try and stop it. And similarly, you know, you basically, a lot of times you're, you're, you're going to dive and put your body on the ground. If you know it's on the ground to stop that ball from going by you. So, um, and at that point it bounces off you and it gives you a good indication on where it is and you can either roll on it to, to find it or just, uh, go into that crab mode and move your arms properly. So you don't knock it out of the way. You <laughs> can't get to it. <laughs> and then, and then, and then get back and then get up on your feet quickly and make a clean throw. Right, the throwing so, is definitely a big, yeah. big differentiator. It's a, it's a big differentiator, uh, differentiator because, uh, and you have to have a good arm to throw, just like in any time, any time to throw from third, third to second base. And that defensive player on second base, he is allowed to feel the ball if it's hit up the, you know, up up towards second base, but he cannot, he cannot leave that base. So he has to have a foot on that base at all times. If it's, it's beyond his reach. He doesn't. He doesn't get it. So, there are times where people have hit great shots up the middle and had and had the sighted defensive player snatch that ball on him and get a double play like that. So, oh wow, <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, but if you make a bad throw, you know he has. You know he's he he can run off that base at that point to go get the ball and try and make it back to second base before the runners the runners get to their bases. So, sure, sure. Which brings into uh, you know sometimes uh, stealing. So if. Uh, if you're running into second and the ball's overthrown, you you're the coach who's clapping. You know he's not allowed to talk to you, but he can say go. He can let you know that, that ball's beyond. And uh, at that point, you will you will you have to quickly orient and start heading toward third <laughs> to try to try right. and, you know get over to third base. Gotcha. As far as innings, how many innings is is a game? So the Itali the Italians play they they play nine inning games. Um, uh, there, I believe uh, and the UK may be doing the same. They have four teams going in uh, in the UK right now, and they're working on their fifth, which is going to be a, a, a Welsh team. Um, tournaments can go um, ninety minutes, um, or at least a minimum of three innings. Um, so you know, whichever, whichever. Uh, if, if you get, you know, you can go four or five innings. You can get it in, in ninety minutes, but uh, you have to play at least a minimum of three innings in a tournament game. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Um, so as far as blind baseball in the U.S. currently, so let's talk about the the U.S. BBA, the U.S. Blind Baseball Association. Um, so if I understand correctly, that was established pretty recently, right? Right. So yeah. You know, so following the bronze medal win at the World Baseball Softball Confederation tournament last last August, uh, we came back and we knew we knew that that we had the talent here a good foundation and it was time to really really make things uh formal so uh, you know one of the advantages we have is we you know the coach that uh, i've been working with since 2015 uh, don landolfi is a hall of fame college baseball coach he's coached for uh brooklyn college he coached with saint john's university he also was the assistant coach in the 1970s of the italian national team when they actually beat america for the first time <laughs> Mm. So he he's got a great sixty year history of coaching uh, baseball, and and he's been involved with this sport uh, since uh, since since I got involved with it in twenty fifteen, and he was uh, actually helping uh, over in Italy back in twenty eleven and twenty thirteen. 
So he lives he lives here on Long Island, and we've got a great working relationship. So following our, our trip over to Beak Netherlands for that tournament, we came back and we, we spoke to our players and everything, and we, uh, we basically put together and formed the United States Blind Baseball Association for the sole purpose of promoting, managing, and developing blind baseball teams, players, coaches, and officials here in the United States for the sole purpose of helping helping AIBXC, our league governing body, and the World Baseball Softball Confederation to build this into a Paralympic sport. And that's where we're going from here. So right now we have, uh, there's two teams. Uh, where it looks like our newest team, the LG Lightning, is going to split into uh, a, another team in the spring. So that'll put us up to three teams here in New York. Um, this year, we had a, a skills and development clinic that we organized. We sent um, 24 people over to Bologna, Italy in May. Hmm. Well, I'm not going to say we, we didn't pay for everybody to go. A lot of people paid their, their own way. And we, you know, we did subsidize some of it because uh, we were only two months old at that time. But uh, you know, people were dedicated. And uh, between their grants from Challenge Athlete Foundation and the uh, Foreseeable Future Foundation, a lot of them were able to go over as well. But most of the most of the volunteers and coaches paid their own way to go. And we sent them over. And we worked with AIBXE League Governing Body in Bologna. And we ran a skills and development clinic there for, for a week. And we had access to the fields in the morning and the afternoons. And we worked with their coaches who trained our coaches and also trained our players. And uh, we also played with uh, the Bologna White Sox, which is the uh, the number one team in Italy. And they would come out and the players would interact with us and give us tricks and tips and things like that and work with us and show us how they do things. And then we would play some scrimmages with them. And then we'd play scrimmages against each other because we had 14 ball players at that point over there. So we did that. And uh, so this year we're doing the same thing here in the United States. So in, in July, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to run a blind baseball skills and development clinic in Orlando, Florida. And the Italians are looking to send over between uh, eight and 12 ball players and four coaches to participate with that program. To be promoting that and uh, in the just probably uh, before spring spring hits uh, in late February early March we'll start promoting it and then look to get people to come out and try and try our game and uh, we'll do it in Orlando. Wow! Hey, I'd love to personally come out and check that out if I can. You're you're just a quick bullet train away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I haven't rode that new bullet train from Orlando down to uh, South Florida yet, but I hear it's pretty good. Yeah, same here. That's that's a game changer, and I'm hoping to see more expansion. You know, to Tampa, the West Coast, Jacksonville. The state definitely needs a lot more public transit and connectedness. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's, it's great. You know, the thing we have here in, in the States is that, you know, we, we have a foundation here in New York City, but we do we do want to reach out and expand. And um, I did a trip in, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Flight for Sight. Uh, but, no, uh, Yeah, so Flight for Sight's an organization, flightforsight.net, the um the founder and CEO is actually one of our one of one of my teammates, and he he developed this foundation. And what he does is his his organization gives away three ten thousand dollar grants a year, and to anybody. And you send your proposal in for what you would do to help promote travel and awareness for blindness, and it could be anything from. Uh, um, just traveling around the country and and testing accessibility in different environments, or or um, we had two two girls that played goalball that went to Birmingham for the IBSA uh, tournaments over there, and then went over to Italy and Greece and played goalball over there as well. Hmm. And there's a there's a blind musician in Belgium won the other grant. So, but the one grant was won by my co-host of that Real Blind Tech Show, Brian Fischler. His proposal was to um, travel around the country and go to different major league baseball parks to check accessibility going in as a blind person. Wow. And, and he had asked me to be his travel buddy, which is part of his grant. So we went to Dallas, Texas. Uh, we went to Houston where we actually went to the uh, NFB conference. Oh yeah. Uh, we went yep. then from there uh, and from there we went to Arizona. From Arizona we went to LA. From LA we went to San Diego. And then we flew up and we finished up because we we we, uh, we went to the All Star Game in Seattle. So mm. in each of those cities we went to a Major League Baseball game. We you know, we saw 
you know, we saw the Texas Rangers, we saw the Astros, we the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers, the Padres, and then finished up at the All Star Game. So, and each each time we went to the, we went to the park, and you know, Brian's a guide dog user, and I'm I'm a cane user, and each of us only have light perception, and we would just go and see what it was like to try and get to the park and see how. Uh, how accessible it was and how customer service treated us and, you know, how to, how they moved us around and, and helped us out and things like that. And he wrote a blog about it on uh, flightforsight.net. And he did a couple of podcasts and some interviews with it as well for some of the people we met and things like that. And uh, it was, a, it was a great experience, but in doing that, I was able to meet and talk to different organizations in each of those cities about blind baseball. So we've got some nice interest there. So we're, we're going to be looking to expand on that now in 2024. Wow, that's awesome. First off, I mean, I'm a little jealous of that baseball park trip. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it was pretty incredible. I mean, we did learn our lesson. The first the first stop was uh, it was in Dallas. We went to the Texas Rangers game and we made the mistake of walking in thinking we'd get food and then and then seek assistance. You yep. can't do it that way. <laughs> you have to get your assistance right at the gate and then. Uh, every park was was great. And uh, one of the things we did come across is that not all ballparks have real-time radio feeds. Hmm. Interesting. So, which when you don't see the game, it, the last thing you need is a 15 to as, as much as a 25 to 30 second delay. Because, you know, sometimes the next pitch coming in, you don't even know what happened in the previous play. <laughs> right. Obviously, with streaming the game on your phone. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, you know, Brian had bought a, uh, a transistor radio to bring, and we found that that, that didn't work most of the time because we were getting the over-the-air feeds. Uh, but most of the ballparks, I believe uh, – they, you go there and they'll provide you with an in-house radio that only gets their 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 feed from inside the ballpark, and that is usually uh, that's real time. So uh, hmm. wow, uh, yeah. So that was uh, it was good to know that and uh, going forward. But there are there are still some clubs in the in, in the U.S. that don't have that. So uh, I know that uh, one of the one of the resolutions that the National Federation of Blind put out in um, in July after the convention was to have professional sports make sure that they have real-time accessible radio uh, feeds for blind spectators. Sure, sure. That's an excellent initiative and obviously still a challenge in 2023, which it shouldn't be. But It shouldn't be, you know, but you're not going to use your iPhone to get a radio feed because, again, that, that could be a minute delayed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it, it just felt great because that was the first, you know, you know, having worked in uh, professional baseball for so many years and a lot of the times it would, you know, uh, I would go to the different parks and I, you know, I'd meet with my my crews that were, you know, handling the the, the software and the, and the cameras and things there. And then, you know, I, I would usually go sit in the stand. So, you know, and uh, just I always loved the being in the ballpark, the experience, and knowing what was going on. But I could see, I could see a little better back then. The ball was hit. I could, you know, if I couldn't track it, I could see the movement of the players on the field to know what was going on. And uh, right, you know, going with just, just, just light perception at this point, having having that access to a real time, a real time radio feed, uh, which is usually much more descriptive than you'll ever get on television. Um, I found it to be very advantageous. Definitely. Alrighty, so to wrap up here, um, if, if people are interested in blind baseball, if they want to find out more, um, what kind of resources do you want to mention as, as far as online that people can find? Sure. So right now, our URL is www.usbba.us. Um, we are going to be putting our website together over the next month here. We haven't, we really haven't gotten to the website portion of things yet, but that link takes you to our Facebook page right now, which has a lot of the information that we do. A lot of the, you know, if people do have site or if somebody wants to take a look, there's lots of videos and lots of photos there. So uh, we'll be putting more social media stuff together once we get the landing page set up for the for the website and start building the ancillary pages there. And we'll build one for the LG Lightning as well, which is the the team, the newest team we formed um, in, in New York City. Uh, I was actually able to get the Lighthouse Guild in New York City to sponsor the newest team, which is great because uh, they pay us a, uh, a fee every year for the right of sponsorship. And we, in turn, have enough money to cover general liability and accident insurance and uniforms and some travel and things like that. So uh, it's a win-win situation. And it's kind of like a model I would like to try and use in different parts of the country as well, because, you know, 
you know how you know how this stuff works being involved with uh i think you you were what was palm beach bandits is that the beat baseball team you're associated with yeah braille bandits of palm beach braille bandits okay yep. braille bandits of palm yeah you know you know what it's involved to, to to have the funding to do the things you need to do i mean <laughs> especially if you're going to travel and do tournaments and things like that you're constantly fundraising you're constantly looking for sponsorship and to to have that to have that base there uh, on, on a team-by-team basis would really really help help us grow you know quicker so that's one of the things that we're looking to do and uh, we've done some great fundraising um I mentioned that Real Blind Tech Show, which is the podcast that I do with Brian Fischler. Uh, Brian also runs an organization called Laugh for Sight, and uh, we do a major fundraising event in New York City every October. And this year, uh, he was gracious enough to allow United States Blind Baseball Association to benefit from the two Laugh for Sights we did, one on Long Island in August, and then the the one we did in uh, in New York City in October. So uh, that's a great event at Gotham Comedy Club. We get some major talent there. We've had in the past, Jerry Seinfeld, Jim Gaffigan, Robert Klein is an, is a staple. Mm. Uh, Guilford Godfrey was a staple until he unfortunately passed away uh, two years ago. So, uh, but uh, it, it's a great, great, great event for the blind community. And, uh, and you know, he, like I said, we, we were, we were lucky to benefit from it this year. So it's given us a nice foundation going into 2024 sure sure awesome and other than that if people really want more information they can contact me at ed plumacher e-d-p-l-u-m-a-c-h-e-r at usbba.us and i'll be happy to pass on any information i can excellent i appreciate that and i'll definitely include uh, the website link as well as your email in the show notes great appreciate it so hopefully hopefully we can get you out there when we're in florida maybe in uh in july you'll come up and visit us for a day or two and uh we'll get you on the field and we'll check out that throwing and fielding uh uh side of uh baseball (laughs) would love to would be an absolute blast i'm gonna mark that down already to to knock off you know block out some time in july so (laughs) good awesome all right cool all righty again ed plumacher really really appreciate the time you're such a cool guy involved in so many cool things and really really appreciate you taking the time to chat here on eyes free sports no i appreciate it greg like i told you when i we first spoke i've been i'm a fan of your show i've been listening to it for quite a while and uh you know, I love I love the talent that you bring in and the unique uh, the unique uh, perspective you bring from athletes and uh, and even entrepreneurs and things like that. So it's great for our blind community, and I'm glad that you let me be uh, be a participant and uh, and be part of it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Ed. Alrighty. To hear more episodes of the Eyes Free Sports podcast and to subscribe, search for Eyes Free Sports on your favorite podcast platform or visit eyesfreesports.com. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.